we are we are beginning today Yoshua Perik Base. The this Perik deals with the, the beginning of the invasion of the Jewish people into Eretz Canaan, specifically the city of Yericho. In the middle of Perik Aleph, Yoshua had issued instructions. Well, the beginning of the Perik, God had told Yoshua to that, that he would to, that he would take over Moshe's position as leader of the Jews and he would lead them into the Promised Land. And Yoshua had begun to give instructions to to the Shotrim, to the to the policemen, to instruct the people to prepare for the invasion of Eretz Canaan. There's actually a debate as to whether this story in the beginning of Perak Bay's the sending of the spies occurred after that, uh, after those instructions or before. But uh, Perak Aleph was about the preparations for the invasion of Eretz Canaan. Perak Bay's we discuss the the actual the beginning of the invasion, the, the sending of the spies by Yeshua into Yericho. So this Perak, this narrative of, this, of the spies Yeshua sent, their adventure is one of the most dramatic prakim in Tanakh. It, it, it comes straight out of a uh, spy thriller, hiding and dissembling and so on. Uh, the, this parak is the Haftarah, this entire parak from beginning to end is the, is the, it, this, is the this is the Haftarah, I believe the entire parak beginning to end is the Haftarah for Parsha Shlach. Parsha Shlach, of course, most of the Parsha deals, much of the Parsha deals, the beginning of the Parsha deals with the spies that Moshe sent into Eretz Canaan. That, of course, ended in catastrophe, one of the worst moral and historical catastrophes in the history of the Jewish people. They were delayed in the desert for 40 years because of that. Uh, Chazal, that the, the, the Chazal say because the Jews wept that night when they got the ominous, intimidating report of the spies, they wept. They wept that night. Hashem said, you wept for no good reason. You will weep Bechiel Adaros. That was one of the events that occurred on Tishabav. That the one of the worst, worst events the, in, in Jewish history. And that was all about sending spies and the return of the spies and the report they made. And our parak is going to be about the spies that Yoshua sent to Yericho and uh, their intelligence and the report that they made. And that's the Haftarah we read, at, we, that's the Haftarah we read for Parsha Shlach. Which raises, of course, the obvious question that if Moshe's sending of spies was such an utter disaster, it led to such a uh, such a catastrophe. Why was Yeshua sending spies? Did Yeshua also make a mistake? Was this also, this didn't end badly? But did, didn't he learn his lesson? The, the implication is that Yeshua's spies were somehow better. Were, were not uh, he or they did not make the same mistake that the that the earlier spies did. So that, that we're going to have to explore. What was different about, if anything, what was different about the spies that Yeshua sent from the spies that his predecessor Moshe had sent? So, beginning this parak, Yeshua ben Nun ben Nun sent spies from from Shittim. That was the place of the that was the place of the Jewish encampment. Moshe had sent twelve spies, one from each shevet. Yeshua sent only two. They are not named. We, we are not, uh, unlike Moshe spies, who are all named. It was classified. Uh, maybe it was classified, right? But, but the, 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 there, are, there, are, there are midrashim that say, there, there are midrashim that say who these spies were. Rashi's going to bring, on Pasuk Dalad later, Rashi's going to say, Midrash Agadah Shrebitan Chuma. In the Midrash it says, Pinchas V'Kalev Hayu. The two spies were Pinchas and Kalev. Kalev was a veteran spy. He was one of the twelve spies, one of the two tzaddikim, along with Yoshua himself, 
who who did not uh, who, 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 who who remained faithful to Hashem, who defended the plan of going into Eretz Canaan, who refused to be intimidated by the the fearsome enemy in Canaan, who said Hashem can do it, who had who had who, who trusted Hashem. So, you, so in Moshe's spies, those two, as opposed to the other ten, had remained faithful to Hashem. The Kalev had the Kalev, uh, had a repeated his role as a spy, and the other spy, according to the, the Midrash, was Pinchas. But that's a Midrash, they aren't actually named. So Yoshua sent two spies, Shnayim Anashim Miraglim, Cheresh. Cheresh is an, is an interesting word. We'll discuss what it means in a moment. He sent them Cheresh, Lamar, and their charge was, their instructions were, Luchu Ru'u Es Ves Yericho, go see the land, go see Yericho in particular, Vayelechu, Vayavo, Beis Ishazona, they, they, they went, they went on their mission, they arrived at the house of a woman who was a Zona. We'll discuss what Zona means in a moment. Ushma Rachav, and her name was Rachav Ayishkevu Shama. So she's named, their, their, their hostess, the, the Rachav the Zona is named, the spies are not named, Ayishkevu Shama. And they spent the night in the house of Rachav, and then the subsequent Sukkim discuss uh, their adventures in the, in the city of Yericho. So, what does the word Cheresh mean? So, yes, so, so the, the most common meaning of Cheresh is, is a deaf mute. And that is, how, that is how some of the commentaries explain the word, explain the word here as well. So, not everyone. There, 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 are, there are different Pshatim in the, in the Mepharshim. So Rashi says, Rashi first brings the Targum. The Targum says that Cheresh is Beruz. Secretly, he sent them out. Uh, they were classified, as you said. He sent them out secretly. That's what Yonason says. So Rashi explains what does it mean secretly. So he says, "How does the word cherish mean secretly? What does it mean?" Rashi says he instructed the spies, "Make yourself like Harashim, pretend to be uh, pretend to be Harashim that you can't hear." Which means that you know, like what David did when he pretended to become insane. Right, right. So there's a famous story where David uh, feigned insanity, so the king of uh, Achish Melech Gas, I think, should let him go. So here, the the it's very similar, right? Similar. The the Miraglim, uh, portray themselves. for creating people like that. Right. That the, that the David Melech was grateful to Akash Baruch Hu for making such a thing as uh, as mentally ill people, which enabled him to pass himself off as one of those, which saved him from the the the, the punishment, uh, the wrath of the king of Gaza. I was at an especially loud wedding, and I was asked to daven mitzvah. I said, "No, a cherish can't daven for the Amish. <laughs> so Rashi explains that the, the, the secret was he told them pass yourself off as Harashim people will give the impression that you can't hear so people will uh, will, will not be afraid of talking in your presence people will be open in front of you that uh, you'll be able to learn their secrets they, they, they won't be wary of you and, and avoid you rather the that that was how it was a secret. So according to Rashi, Cherish was directed against the people of Canaan, act like Harashim so that they won't realize you can hear them. This is similar to what the Midrash says also about Mardachai and Big Son Maserish. It says Mardachai overheard a plot to assassinate the king, and he passed it along to Esther, and, uh, and, 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 and they were executed, and Mardachai was rewarded later in the story. So there's a midrash that says that the reason Mordechai was able to learn of their plot is because they spoke an exotic foreign language, which most people did not speak. So when Bixen and Maseresh, you know, they used a code, essentially. The code was their foreign language, which they thought was so obscure that, that nobody would understand. 
So they were willing to speak openly in front of Mordechai because they said nobody knows our language, so we can get away with it. But Mordechai, as a member of the Sanhedrin, knew, knew all kinds of foreign languages, and therefore he recognized their language. This is similar, that the Meraglim, Yeshua's Meraglim, pass themselves off as Harashim, so people would talk in front of them. It turns out, we're actually going to see the, the, the remainder of the parakid, their primary intelligence was told to them explicitly by their hostess, Rachav Azona. She told them the, the, the main report that they heard, apparently. But initially, their plan was to pass himself off as Harashim so they could just listen in and hear gossip and hear a conversation without people being uh, clamming up when they, when they approached. So they were new, I, I wonder how they did that, because there would be unknown faces. Maybe there was a sign that they put on themselves and... Right, I, I, maybe there's a sign, maybe... maybe Maybe, maybe, maybe they had, just like blind people have a cane, maybe Harashim had some method of, uh, of walking or traveling that, that people, they, they gave them pressure. And they, uh, I know in stories, people always test to see whether they're really Harashim, they make like a loud noise behind them to see if they jump or they do something like that. Drop a coin. A car horn or drop a coin, right, to see if they blink or flinch or, or, or instinctively reach out. So yes, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly how this was done. But theoretically, they spoke a different language anyway. I mean, that, that would have been enough, just like Mordechai and Big Son of Sarish, The fact that they were Jews from the, in the Ibram from the desert, they, they weren't locals, clearly. Maybe that would have been enough for people to be open in front of them. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. Rashi brings another shot. Again, you know, continuing the, the theme of the cloak and dagger, Rashi brings another shot. Cheresh is like Cheres. Cheres with, with a shin. Chesre shin, which again normally means deaf-mute. But here, it, 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 it's a cognate word to cheres, which is uh, cheres with a samach, means pottery. It means hatinu atzmachem kederos, dishdiu nirin kekadarim. Spies have to have a cover story. They have to have, uh, they have, to have uh, a cover of who they are. They're not, they're not spies. They're actually we're just honest businessmen. We're, we're just uh, merchants of some sort. They're lawyers. What? There was lawyers. There was, uh, during the Reagan administration, they had hearings. And one of the lawyers sitting behind the witness... He said, I'm just a potted plant. Uh-huh. Okay. Later on, he sat behind me at Kesher Israel. Okay. So, right. So according to Rashi, the second shot is that they, 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 their cover story was, we're potters, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're cat- here, here are our wares, we have pots to sell. So they, they had a perfectly good reason for being in Yericho. They weren't just suspicious strangers hanging around at corners listening to gossip. They were, they were potters who were going around doing their business. So they were spies, and then and they were charet, they were cheresh. That, that that that's Rashi's tubshatim. Either that they were that they they acted secretly, that they by by pretending to be charashim, or that they acted like potters. There are other pshatim in the mafarshim. Masudas David says that cheresh means mechapsim machshavas abrios im nameis levavim. That the word cheresh, the, the, that the word cheresh means to he says he says in yano machshava. Cheresh means thoughts or. Uh, the Pasik says in Mishlei, Al Tachresh Al don't plan and plot against uh, evil against your neighbors. So Cheresh, it's, it's a less common use of Cheresh, but Cheresh can sometimes mean uh, thoughts, and their goal was to, to discern the, the thoughts of people. This is a very important point, we'll return to this soon. The, the, the way he's explaining it, the, the goal of these Miraglim was not military objective intelligence, fortifications and troop numbers and, and access routes and so on. Their goal was essentially they wanted psychological information. They wanted, they, they wanted a report. They, they, were, they were to bring a report about the morale of the people. This is supported by the Psukim, because we're going to see throughout the parak that the main report that they got from Rachel Hazona, she told them emphatically, unequivocally, that the morale is terrible. That people are people are giving up hope. That the that people uh, people see the Jews as uh, 
as an inexorable force that the that, that there's no chance that, that, that God that they have momentum God is on their side if there's no chance of uh, Rachav is going to say later that, that she told them that that we heard that Hashem split the sea for you and dried up the sea and we saw that he that he wiped out the two kings of uh, Amori what we read about in the recent parshias but Sichon and Og and uh, morale is morale is uh, has been devastated so we, we, Hashem is God and there's nobody else so that is the implication. The, 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 all the intelligence that's discussed in this parak is not concrete, is not concrete uh, technical military intelligence. It's all about the morale. So that's how that's how the Matudas David, the Matudas Tian explains that that was what Cheresh meant, that their job initially was to glean that type of intelligence. The, it's important intelligence. Yeah. I mean, Putin didn't have it. He had it. He assumed right. the morale. About the will to fight of the Ukrainians. Yeah. Right, exactly. That, 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 that. Intelligence he did not have. Right, exactly. That. Well, he, he didn't even bother looking, according to the Post yesterday, Wednesday. Uh, fascinating article. But, uh, right, so that's exactly the point, that, 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 that this is a key part of military intelligence, it's not just how many troops do you have. And, well, however, we took the same thing. We, 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 we assumed the Japanese wouldn't dare. Right. And that, 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 that's a crucial part of military intelligence, is, is not just the enemy's technical capabilities to fight, the enemy's will to fight, the enemy, how hard will they fight, how will they attack, won't they attack, will they surrender, how, how hard will they fight. This was a huge, uh, this was a huge, um, we, we had this in the reverse in Iraq as well. We, you know, the, first era, the, the first Iraq war, we thought it would be, a, some people thought it would be a cakewalk. And, uh, right, right, so there are various, right, so there, 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 there are, one of the Iraq wars. One of our, one of our neighbors down the street, Elliot Cohen, wrote a book about this, uh-huh. about uh, great Jewish, or great failures uh, in military, military intelligence. Right. Right. Okay. So, so this this is the key issue that that as important or even more important in a certain sense than the, the enemy's technical capabilities to fight is the enemy's psychological uh, prep- preparedness, psychological willingness to fight. Also, there's the idea of groupthink. You the group if you have, don't have dissent, people who give you dissent, then you get one opinion. And you get blocked into, you don't see the... Yeah. Right, so that, that, that's another possible failure in military planning is groupthink. If you don't have enough people to challenge and to debate and to, 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 to test your conclusions, uh, that, that's obviously a big danger. Right. So I, I don't know if that ties into our story as much, but right, the point is there are all, there are all these problems that, 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 that an army, that, that a government has to have when planning an invasion. So according to the Matudas David, the goal of these Miraglim and we'll see more about this uh, as we discuss the, the general theme of these Miraglim. The, the goal was not, again, was not so much about the technical capabilities of the enemy. It was about their, about their, uh, the, about their, their will, their, their psychological framework. So we have these various chattim in, in what the word cherish means. And again, returning to our original question, so what was the big idea here? Why was Yeshua sending these Miraglim in the first place if the... If, the, if, if Moshe's Miraglim was such a catastrophe, not only that, not only, not only did Moshe's Miraglim result in catastrophe, there are Midrashim, Rashi brings a Midrash in Pasha Shlach, that it was the wrong thing to do in the first place. Even in the beginning, God warned, he, he hinted at a, that, at a warning that this was a bad idea. The Pasha Shlach begins with the words, Shlach Lecha Anashim. Shlach Lecha, an interesting word. He didn't just say Shlach Anashim, send men. He said Shlach Lecha Anashim, send, send, send for yourself, right? Meaning that this is not my idea, this is not my plan, this is your business. You want to do this, you do this. 
If you want to send, send. But I'm not. I'm not condoning this. I'm not. I'm not ordering this. Like the expression, see for yourself. Right. See for yourself. Exactly. That. Uh, and then the show me state. Right. And then Rashi says the the, the the initiative here was by the Jewish people. The Jews came and said, "We want to send spies." As it says in Chumash Dvarim, it says, that Moshe says, you approach me and wanted to send spies. That detail is not mentioned in Parashat Shlach. But uh, Moshe asked the Kodesh Baruch this is what the people want to do. And Hashem said that, Hashem said, uh, I, am, I, am, I do not approve of this. I'm telling you the land is good. You should trust me and you should follow my plan. You want to send Miraglim? Uh, I'm going to give you, your, your, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the chance to, to make a dreadful mistake. I'm going to let you send Miraglim, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to make the, the dreadful mistake that they eventually did. That's Rashi based on the Midrash. So the Ramban has, this is a sheet of Rashi based on the Midrash, that the, the Jews initiated the request for the Miraglim in Moshe's time. Moshe asked the Kosh Baruch Hashem said, I do not like this plan, and it's, uh, I think it's wrong. I think you're already, you're already exhibiting, even, even before the whole story started, you're already exhibiting a lack of trust in, uh, in my assurances to you that this is uh, a good thing to do. And because you're not trusting me, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to make a dreadful mistake, which they did. The Ramban has numerous objections to this approach of Rashi. He has all kinds of... Uh, he says Moshe himself was involved in the chait. He says then because Moshe agreed. Moshe said, I, "I thought it was a good idea." So did Moshe really make such a terrible, such a mistake in not realizing that it was a bad idea? And he said, he has a number of other questions. He says, "What did the Miraglim do wrong?" He says Moshe ordered them to go in and see what uh, are they strong. The, the, the questions here were about the. The, the, the actual strength, the military strength of the enemy, see if the cities are fortified or unfortified. They had to answer a truthful answer. What was the hate if they said uh, they're strong? Did, did he want? Uh, did, did he want a? Did, did he want a yes man who just said yes, whatever he, whatever, whatever, whatever the? You know, did he want to rubber stamp his position? Did he want an honest report from the spies? So what do they do wrong? And so on and so on. And later in the Ramban's discussion, he mentions. That uh, the, the question we started with, that the Yeshua sent Miraglim. Moshe himself sent Miraglim for a, sec- a second time later. He says, Moshe himself, it says, it says in, uh, it says later in Chumash Midbar, it says, Vayishlach Moshe El Ragelas Yazer. Toward the end of Chumash Midbar, it says that when they, they captured uh, an area called Yazer, it says Moshe sent Miraglim. It doesn't make a big deal out of them, it doesn't tell you the details of their report or who went and so on. But it mentions in passing, Moshe sent more Miraglim. So apparently, uh, Moshe himself hadn't learned his lesson. Moshe was still sending Miraglim. Yeshua Benun. Yeshua Benun sent Miraglim. Miraglim. One reason might be that they could have fled. Uh-huh. I mean, there's an example later in, in one of the Hafers where the, the uh, two guys were, uh, who were not allowed to be in the, in the community because they were... They, they wandered off to the, to the enemy city and found that they, they people had fled. Right. So, you know, doesn't, there's no reason to respect the God. Go check out, make sure your enemy's there. Right. Right, so the, 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 that, that's a story of the Arba Mitzrayim. We read that as Haftar, I think, of Tazriyar Mitzrayim. That, that was a story of the four Mitzrayim who were banished from the camp, and they were starving, there was a famine, there, there was a siege, there was a famine. So they said, let's go and investigate the camp of Aram. Uh, what's the worst that could happen to us? They'll kill us. You know, we're dead if we stay here anyway, so we might as well try our luck with the camp of Aram. So they wandered into the camp of Aram, 
and they saw that they had all fled. The, the, the Navi explains because Hashem had made a uh, Hashem had caused a tremendous commotion, a tremendous noise to to be heard in the camp of Aram the night before, and they, they became terrified. They said, it must be the Jews have hired mercenaries, they've hired uh, other armies to come fight for them, and these are the, these are their, these are the mercenary armies arriving to, to fight us, and then they got terrified, and they all fled, and they fled in such haste that they left all their stuff behind. Yeah, so, so, so that, 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 was a, that was a great thing, that, that, uh, that these formats Aram you know, entered the camp of the enemy, not even with the intent of spying, but they, they, they made this incredible discovery that the, that the whole camp of Aram had fled, leaving behind riches and food that, that was literally uh, uh, life-saving for the, for the starving Jewish people. Yeah, so the Ramban makes a similar point. The Ramban, the Ramban makes this point more broadly. He says, a, a very famous passage in the Ramban, he says that there was nothing wrong with sending Meraglim, he says, when people enter, when people invade, when people make war against another country, it's normal to send spies, he says, that they send spies to see the roads, the, the, the routes to get into the country, and they said, uh, and those spies who then have firsthand uh, knowledge of the, of, of the territory, they then march as scouts and the head of the army, he says, to show them where to go, where the roads are. And he says, and, and also the part of the spies' report was necessary to determine, in other words, the spies were not supposed to, were not supposed to be counseling them yes or no, you know, give up the invasion or go. The, the, the spies were, were supposed to facilitate the invasion to show them where to go and how to go, where are the roads, how can we get in? And also to make decisions about which city should we attack first, which city should we wage war on first, which 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 approach is the easiest, which is you know if you have one area that's defended and one area that's not defended, you go in by the easier area. I think that was in uh, I think that was in World War One. The French had I think the Maginot Line, and they had a very heavily fortified area where everyone thought it was impregnable. The Germans went around. World War II. Sorry, World War Two. They went through Belgium. Right. So that, that, that was another, that was another right. The, so so the, the Maginot Line was up to Belgium. Up to Belgium, and they went through Belgium. All right. So the right. So the a, a smart army, you know, won't just say you know, we'll throw ourselves over. again. Sorry. And they flew over. And they flew over. Yeah, the Blitzkrieg and all that. Right. So the smart army isn't going to say, okay, you have you have uh, you have. Uh, In this case, they need to know if you could go around, if you could walk around the city. The city was against the mountain. You couldn't walk around it. That's right. the way they destroyed it. They walked around. Right. Actually, the, the biggest miracle in the, in the, in the whole Tanakh is right in this book, chapter. Uh-huh. Because the, the Jews walked around Eureka for a week and they couldn't say a word. I asked Rabbi Koss, I said, was that a miracle or was that something they were capable of doing? Jews being quiet for a week. Jews being quiet for a week. Okay. <laughs> we'll, 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 so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that story of the Jews going around Eureka, but the point is right. A smart army isn't necessarily going to throw itself against the, the strongest point, so they, they're going to find weaker points. So they can bypass the city, you can cut it off, you can, you can attack the city from a different side, which is, which is weaker. That was the point of the Miraculum, the Ramban says. And he says, Psukim himself say that. It says the Miraculum was supposed to return with a report that tell us the Dehaderech Asher Nalaba, the proper, the best road to uh, approach via that road. Etc. and the cities that we should invade first. And the Ramban says, a, a, famous, a famous language here, the Ramban says, V'zu haguna This is uh, a, a smart and, uh, and correct uh, practice for all those who conquer enemy lands. And Moshe did that uh, against Yazir, Yoshua did that, he says. And that's why Moshe thought it was a good idea. And now the Ramban has his famous expression, he says, Ki yismok al 
Uh, the Torah does not rely on Nisim. Even in the invasion of Eretz Canaan, which was all based on Hashem and his promises, and he assured them repeatedly that he would be with them and support them and, and perform miracles for them. But the Torah does not rely in its commandments, in its, in, in its, in its instructions of how, of how to act. The Torah does not rely on Nisim. The Torah expects us to behave according to the, the laws of nature, according to the, the natural order. The Torah wants us to act in, uh, in, in a normal way, the way a normal army would act. He says uh, Hashem commands uh, those who are waging war to lay uh, chalet, to, 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 to be armed, to be shamer, to be careful, laro, to set ambushes. We're going to see about the ambush later, like the Muhammad of the Ai. That was also, after Yericho, we're going to have the, the battle against the Ai, the, the, the city of Ai, and we're going to find that they set an ambush. In, in the second phase of the invasion. So again, even though Hashem was with them, that that wasn't something they did unilaterally, Hashem told them that, 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 Hashem was, that, that was all an invasion of Hashem. They set an ambush because Hashem wants us to act with Yerach that, that the terror is not so much, that, that this, this is the famous line, the much quoted line, the terror does not rely on Nisim, even if Hashem makes Nisim, the Torah doesn't, uh, the Torah doesn't uh, rely on Nisim, the Torah tells us to act in ways that, 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 that any army would act. And that's a sheet to the Ramban, that there was nothing wrong with uh, the sending of the Miraculum itself. The problem was the way they reported. They said, they're too strong for us. FS, we can't do it, and we're not going to win. That was the hate. The Miraculum, the sending of the Miraculum was fine. It was the way they reported, and the way they, they, they doubted Hashem's ability, and the way they, 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 they told the Jewish people, it's hopeless, we can't do it. That was the hate. But the sending of the Miraculum was absolutely fine. Because the Torah is not so mech in, in all its ways on a is not so mech on a nace. and this is a powerful idea that the Ramban says in regarding other places as well that the Torah is not so mech, the Torah is not so mech on a The Torah wants us to that, that, that the Torah wants us to uh, to act as the as, as a normal army would, an army that wasn't guaranteed success by a Kodesh Baruch We mentioned earlier when we studied the first parak of Yeshua. That Hashem tells Yeshua repeatedly. Hashem tells him, "Don't, don't be afraid. Don't, uh, don't be scared." And uh, throughout Chumash Dvarim, Hashem tells that to, to to Moshe and the Jewish people that, "Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you." Mefarshim actually argue over there. What does that mean when Hashem said, "Don't be afraid"? Was He promising them, "Don't be afraid because uh, you'll be okay"? Some Mefarshim say, "No, because Al Pidarach Hateva, there were going to be casualties in the war, even if Hashem supported the Jewish people." And that we're not so mechanism. We have to accept that there will be casualties. Yeah, so, tell you, you can do the mitzvah. Mm-hmm. I think here, what the, the first story of my rabbi, I am, along with the reason that Moshe was not allowed to enter, was that they were told to do a mitzvah, mm-hmm. and they didn't believe they could do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, he, he didn't believe he could speak, make a water out of a rock by uh-huh. Yeah, all, all the other times he had done it, he'd done actions. And, and only God had made the world by speech. Mm-hmm. And so and I, and he thought it was beyond him. Uh-huh. They thought, I think they thought that capturing Canaan was beyond them. And they, they uh, disregard, they under, they, they, didn't, they didn't give it, God enough credit. Uh, okay. They, they, they could do it. He says he didn't believe me. He says to both of them. Right. Yeah, no, you didn't believe me. Sorry. Bruce is saying that there's an idea that, that the failure in several of these sins is that they didn't have enough uh, enough faith that they could, uh, enough amuna, enough trust that they could do these things uh, in, in their own ability to do these things. It was just words, right? 
But uh, regarding the invasion as well, where Hashem says, don't be afraid, some of Hashem say, it's not a promise. Uh, the, the world works Hashem was saying, don't be afraid, meaning keep morale up, because if you panic, it'll be bad for the whole, the whole military operation, but not that there's any guarantee of uh, any guarantee. There he was saying that it's not even a guarantee of everyone will be safe. Here we're saying, here we're saying that, the, of course you should send spies. That, that's, that's simply prudence. That's simply correct and normal military strategy. Of course you should do it. It's just like you should take weapons out of Egypt. Right, it says the Chamushim Alu Bnei Israel Meretz Mitzrayim that they that they left. According to some some interpretations of that verse, in the beginning of Parshas Bashalach, it means they left armed because they had to fight. If you fight, you have arms. You know, you don't just go and say Hashem is with me. I'm going to wave my hand and they're going to go away. And that, that your job is to act. Uh, we find we find regarding Yaakov Avinu that, that when he prepared for the confrontation with Esav, he prepared on multiple fronts. He had diplomacy. He had uh, he sent him the the gifts to appease him. He prepared for war. He prepared for. Uh, he prepared for battle, for, for, for military confrontation. He, he prayed to Hashem. And many Mepharshim say that was correct. The Akedas Yitzchak has a major essay. He says that was correct. It's a person's job. A person's job is to behave, is to, even, even if he's a tzaddik and he, he has reason to believe God will be on his side, that, that doesn't absolve him of responsibility to, to behave responsibly, to behave as uh, the to act in a prudent and sensible way. Postkim, over the last century, postkim, a number of postkim were asked about purchasing life insurance. Is there any you know, lack of trust in Hashem to purchase life insurance? And the virtually unanimous opinion is absolutely not. They say that that's just taking care of your family. That that's that's just uh, sensible and rational. And uh, that's, that's like any other business a person engages in. A person has a job. A person you know has any other kind of business. Business is what Hashem wants us to live in the world and act with derech We we should have bitachon b'zacharta. We should acknowledge that whatever we succeed in, Hashem gave us the ability to do that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. And that means we should act and act according to the ways of the world. And that's what we should do. And, and then we hope that we hope and pray that Hashem will help us. So here too, the Ramban says there was nothing wrong with sending Miraglim. Moshe's Miraglim were fine. Moshe's later Miraglim and Yazir were fine. Yeshua's Miraglim were fine. All the Miraglim were fine. And the Chait in the time, not like Rashi in the Midrash, the Chait was the way the Miraglim responded when they said, Ephes ki when they added their own opinions and their own skepticism toward Hashem's ability to take them, that was the Chait. The, the, the nature of their report, not even the factual part of the report. The factual part of the report was fine. They're strong. They're, these are the cities that are, that are fortified. That was all fine. The, the problem was when they started to editorialize and when they started to say, this is, uh, this is our... Uh, this is our analysis. This is our, this is our, uh, our recommendation. This is our appraisal of the situation. That was the, that was the, that was the chait. He says, he goes on. He says that. Right. So that that, that was the chait. I think he says, but the sending miraglim, sending miraglim was not in and of itself a problem. That's Earl Bog's approach. Sending Miraglim was fine. That was not Moshe's mistake, and therefore Yeshua was not repeating the mistake of Moshe. There was no mistake. The mistake was not sending the spies. Others learn, others learn apparently no, like Rashi says, that Moshe's Miraglim, there was something wrong with the initial sending. There was a mistake. Yeshua's Miraglim were different. How so? So the Earl Bog, on our, on our parak addresses this question, and that he, he, he takes for granted we have to find some distinction between the between the sending of the spies by Moshe and the sending of the spies by Yoshua. Why didn't Yoshua rely on Hashem, who promised him that uh, they, they would be successful? Why did he send spies? He says... He says... He can send spies for two reasons, he says. He can send spies to see 
whether whether there is um, feasibility to a to, to, to a to a to a military plan to to invade. That was Moshe's spies that that, they, that they were actually sent to see whether it's uh, whether it's military whether it's militarily feasible to invade. And that was a mistake. They should have trusted Hashem. However, he says Yeshua's spies were something different. We mentioned earlier that it's evident from the story that it's evident from the story that Yeshua's spies were focusing on morale. And the Rabbah takes it even further. He says it wasn't just to find out is the morale good, in which case we have to retreat, or is the morale bad, in which case we can invade. They were going to invade anyway. He says it was meant to. This, this was meant to rally the morale of the Jewish people by showing them how bad the morale was on the Canaanite side. This was meant to inspire and to encourage the Jewish people to invade. And, and Moshe knew, and Yeshua knew that the morale was bad on the on the Canaanite side, and that's why he says that the. He says that he wanted to strengthen the Jewish people and the, that, that, that Hashem wanted this even, that it was, it was to strengthen the, the heart of Yeshua and the Jewish people when they heard how terrified the, the inhabitants of Yericha were, that, that that's why he sent them Cheresh, he says, that's why he sent them, he, he, he understands like the Tzudah that Cheresh means to see the, the mind, the, the state of mind of the enemy, it means Machshavi says Yeshua said, "Go tell us about the morale. Tell us about uh, tell us about how they about how badly um, how badly scared, how hopeless they are." World War One, the biggest killer was not the bullets, but the Spanish flu. Right, and that was a national secret. Uh huh. All right. Good. Um, that's why he says, right, good, right. That, that, that's why he says, or Bag said, we don't find that they actually explored the, they, they didn't go out and, you know, and, and look at bridges and roads and, and, and walls. They went, to the, they, went, they went to the house of Rachel Azona and they talked to her. That, that was the extent of their spying. That was obviously a whole different kind of intelligence. You know, they, 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 that, that she knew about the morale. We'll discuss how she knew about the morale in a little more detail soon. But he says that, uh, that they stayed one night. They talked to her. They stayed, and they went back because that was enough for them to, to, to get a, a clear picture, a clear picture of what the of the morale. That was their whole goal, and that's how. And that's what the Rambam says. That was the, that was the point of this shlichus as well. It was not classic military spying of the technical capabilities of the enemy, which was problematic. Because Hashem had told them, you know, the Rambam makes a cogent case that even that spying would have been fine because that's part of the normal way to invade territory. But the Rambam says that wasn't even the point here. The point here was simply to get a picture of, uh, of, the, of the desperate morale of, of Yericho, and that itself was going to inspire the Jews and make them fight better and encourage them. And that was the point of the spying, and it was a success. And that's why it was different from the spying of Moshe. Okay. So the getting back to our pasuk, so it says Yeshua sent them two people, Raglam Cheresh Lamar. He said, "Go see the land." So they came to Yericho with their disguises, as we discussed, and they came to Base Ishazona. They came to the home of a woman who was a zona. Her name was Rachav Vayishkavu Shama. What is a zona? So zona in Hebrew typically means a harlot, uh, a woman of ill repute. The Targum here, the Yonason here says they came Balula base Itza Pundakisa. So Pundakisa, Pundakis, Pundaki in Aramaic means an innkeeper. So the Targum seems to understand that Zona is not a, a Zona, a woman 
in that line of work. But it means a Puntakisa, Rashi says. Mocheres mine mizonis. She sold provisions, so she was either a general store or she was a, uh, an innkeeper to, who catered to travelers. So the Targum seems to say she was not actually a zona. Why? What motivates the Targum to say that, uh, to say, to say that, what would motivate the Targum to say that she was not a zona but she was an innkeeper? The truth is, some understand that even the Targum means she was an innkeeper. The Radak says, Radak brings both Pshatim. That you can either say she was literally a zona, a, a classic zona, or you can say she was a, a purveyor of provisions. And then he says, Ha'emes, he says, Das Yonason. Yonason really agrees that she was a zona in the sense of harlot, zona mamish. He says, because, because, because the Yonason, he says, routinely translates zona as Pundakisa. If he would sometimes translate zona as zona and sometimes Pundakisa, that would indicate that when he translates Pundakisa, for some reason, he believed the zona was not actually a zona. But he says, Unculus frequently translates uh, zona as Pundakisa, which indicates that Pundakisa in, in, in the Yonason is just a euphemism for zona. He says, even though he does translate some of them as Nafkis Bra, like a streetwalker, he says, but nevertheless, the fact that he uses uh, this term of uh, Pundakisa so often, it's apparently just a euphemism for Zona. You see, they're an ideal spy. They have, they have information. Right, exactly. Uh, the, the Bruce is saying that, that she would have been a particularly good source, and we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, she has blackmail information. Blackmail. Also, maybe yeah, that's another point. Well, we'll, we'll see. I don't know if anyone says that. We'll see. But um, why would the, that continues? Why would the Targum call a zona pundakisa. Well, what is the meaning of that euphemism, he says, because the, he says a zona is, is like a pundakisa. Pundakisa is um, publicly available. She sells to all comers. And that's what a zona is also. So we have two different shots in whether it was, whether she was actually a zona or a, or a, uh, a merchant of some sort or an innkeeper. So, barbers, right. and zonas are the Best, best sources they, they know all the gossip people got people 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 gossip in their uh, people gossip right so I suspect that in that society it's quite reasonable to assume that the two functions are identical right right that, 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 that's also a possibility that that they may have had uh, that they may have uh, provided both types of services to travelers. They, they could have provided both, uh, you know, food services as well as you know sexual favors to travelers. Yeah, it's also possible. It's, it's also a possibility. So, so the right. So the, the so the the the, 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 the Mepharshim explained that the. That, that she, we'll, we'll see this as we go on the circum later. That, that she knew about the morale. She, she, she had a few. Was apparently a high class uh, courtesan. She had associations with all kinds of important figures, military, political figures. Who, who, who? She had access to the, she had access to the intimate thoughts, to the, to the, you know, to the kind of personal thoughts of a lot of a lot of uh, important figures in Yericho. And she was therefore, if we assume she was a Zona Mamish, that, that she had all kinds of information about the morale, especially what they thought, what they really felt. You know, aside from their public proclamations and bravado, she knew apparently how they really felt, and therefore she was going to be a good source for the. She was going to be a good source from the for for intelligence on 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 the uh, relevant to the invasion. I saw an interesting thing here in the in the. 
in, 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 in my Navi here, in my, what's it called, my, uh, in my Judaic oppressed Navi, they bring, they bring an idea that the, because I'll tell us that, that uh, Rachav eventually converted to Judaism and she married Yeshua and she had descendants who were Nevi'im. Nevi'im and Kohanim, and she had prophets and priests. So he, they bring two things here. I'm not quite sure who they're quoting, but first they bring that the fact that she was the, the, the matriarch of so many prophets and priests, this is evidence that her spiritual beauty matched her physical beauty. Then they bring that Rachav, originating from an immoral, sinful nation, and being one of the lowest of that nation, A, she came from Canaan, which is always described as being full of toeva, abominations, and she was one of the lowest, she was a professional prostitute. She nevertheless repented and became an honored member of the holy nation of Israel. That's why she was the symbol of repentance. Her descendants, the Kohanim and the Nevi'im, who told everyone to do tshuva, they could point to their ancestress. That, look, even look, we come from Rachav. She was, uh, she was a pretty spiritually low person, and yet uh, she, she did tshuva. So the implication of the second shot is that Rachav was not such a great person to begin with, but that at some point she turned around and uh, was inspired by uh, Kodesh Baruch Hu and, and the Jewish people and the Torah and became, and became a great tzedekist. Point to the first shot, I don't know, her spiritual beauty matched her physical beauty originally or later, I'm not sure. Either way, the, 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 this, this reminds me of, uh, I've always been fascinated by a very interesting machlokis between the Rambam and the Ralbag. The Ralbag was a great admirer of the Rambam and their philosophical ideas especially often, uh, are often quite close. The, the Ralbag was uh, very much an intellectual uh, heir, intellectual disciple of the Rambam. But uh, in, in this particular area, they take what seem to be strikingly different approaches. The, the question is, before the Torah came along and gave us all the mitzvahs that we have, how, does it, how, how do we look at, uh, from a kind of natural law or a natural morality perspective, how do we look at prostitution? Is it, a, uh, is it inherently wrong and immoral, or is it perfectly fine until the Torah came along and told us not to do it? Like, if you talk about something like a cheeseburger, or about eating, uh, eating swine's flesh, we, we believe that there's nothing really inherently wrong with it. Right, right, so we'll get to that in a second. Certain mitzvahs we believe are chukim. You know, we don't really know the reason. If not for the fact that the Torah told us not to, so then there's nothing wrong with it. The Torah came, so we do what the Torah said. But if I, if I tell you that a, a non-Jew eats a cheeseburger, I don't see that as a moral deficiency. And why shouldn't he? The Torah didn't tell him not to eat cheeseburgers. So how do we look at uh, zona? How do we look at prostitution? Now today, in the modern world, obviously, prostitution is a big problem because women are often coerced and trafficked and manipulated. And uh, it, it, it's not always... It, not always, maybe not mostly, a woman's free choice. Uh, she absolutely, you know, there are all kinds of stories of prostitutes who enjoy their work, but in general, many or most cases of prostitutes are forced into it, they're desperate, they're, they're, they're manipulated. Some places it's regulated. Some places, yeah, some places even regulated. It's a, it's a, it's a relatively normal profession. But you know, today, it's, it's often hard to separate out prostitution from what are clearly uh, problematic, uh, severe, severely problematic considerations like trafficking and so on, drug, drug abuse and so on. But how does the Torah look at prostitution in a vacuum? Is there anything wrong with it or not? So Bruce mentions that Yehuda frequents a prostitute in uh, Pasha's Ve'eshev. And there's actually, so there's a very interesting machlokas here, apparently, between Rambam and the Ralbag, that had a look at this. Rambam says in the Yad before Matan Torah, prostitution was normal, 
like we find in Yehuda. I think he brings the example of Yehuda. He says a man can meet a woman. They negotiate terms. It's consensual. It's absolutely fine. He says it's, no, it's exactly the same thing morally as marriage is today. Marriage is a kind of permanent, formalized, consensual relationship between a man and a woman. Prostitution was a more temporary, less formalized relationship, but it's, it's, it's the same thing. There was, until the Torah came along and prohibited prostitution, there's nothing wrong, there was nothing wrong with prostitution. However, the Ralbag says that it was wrong. The Ralbag says it is wrong. He says, he brings the story of Yehuda, and he says, when, he says, when they tried to track down the woman to redeem, Yehuda had given a pledge. She asked for a, a, a goat, and Yehuda offered a goat, and she said, I need security, you don't have the goat. He gave her his three personal items, chasamcha, psilecha, matacha, his staff, his seal, his, his psil. And later, when, when they tried to, when he, he sent a goat with his friend, the Adulami, to give her the goat and redeem his pledges, he couldn't find her because she wasn't really a, a long time, she wasn't a real prostitute. So Yehuda said, you know, let her keep it, penny elavud. So let's just drop this whole matter. If we, keep, uh, if, we, if we keep searching and making a commotion about this, we may be embarrassed and publicly disgraced. So the Ralbach says, you see that it was considered disgraceful, that prostitution was not a morally neutral thing, that, that Yehuda was trying to keep it quiet, and he knew there was something... And he was just afraid of his wife. Um, so he actually did not have a wife at that time. It says, it says his yeah, wife had died. His wife had died, and, that, and, and, that, and the implication is that he did that after his wife had died. Yeah, see, but we, we can debate you know, how much you can infer from this Pasuk, but the Ralbach says that we see from this, the Pasuk, the language of the Pasuk, that it was actually something disgraceful, that even the people at that time recognized there was something wrong with that type of promiscuity, that type of uh, unregulated, un, you know, lacking uh, the, 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 the benefit of the... the the benefit of clergy, so to speak, lacking uh, marriage, that there was something disgraceful about it. So Maybe the Zonas were uh, of, of not Jewish. Yes, at that time, nobody was really Jewish. The question was, for, for, for the family of Yaakov, maybe associating with any uh, non-Jewish person would itself have been, uh, would itself have been disgraceful. Yeah, so we can, we can debate that. But the point is, the Ralbag says that prostitution before Matantara was disgraceful to people of good moral character. The Ramam seems to say that it wasn't. When we deal with Rachav, you want to know if she was a person of the lowliest of that nation or not. The fact that she was a Zona, would that, would that have made her into someone who was... Uh, uh, a low person, it might be the subject of debate between the Rambam and the Ralbach.